I'm Damian Bulwa, Managing Editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. Today on Fifth and Mission, the Bay Area's COVID-19 long haulers. Over the past six months, we've often measured the terrible damage of the coronavirus by deaths. They recently surpassed 200,000 across the country. But what is of increasing concern is the long-term and perhaps even permanent damage that COVID-19 can cause to even healthy young people who become infected. Erin Alday, our lead health reporter, has been looking into this issue, and she joins me. Erin, thanks again for your time. Thanks for having me again. Erin, it's such a fascinating issue. You talked to a teacher, a department store clerk, and an out-of-work salesman in the Bay Area. All of them had COVID-19. They survived. What have been their shared experiences with long-term symptoms? Yeah, so it's it's pretty interesting and pretty compelling. Um, all three of these folks um, had, you know, pretty serious illness. Um, and, you know, when they were actually sick with kind of active infection of the coronavirus. Um, but what they have really are these lingering symptoms that are just, I mean, for, for each of them, varying degrees of disabling. Um, fatigue that's so severe that, you know, sometimes it, it's a struggle to walk up the stairs to, you know, walk around the block, um, you know, these folks, you know, some of them are working and some of them aren't. Um, but you know, they can't they can't concentrate. They um they get very bad headaches, um, they have body aches, they have um just a whole variety of symptoms that that really um affect their quality of life um in ways that, you know, are are beyond that sort of initial illness. You know, it's one thing to get kind of you know, a respiratory illness to have the kind of coughing and the shortness of breath and and all of those things that, that people deal with when they're actively infected. But it's almost worse for for these folks what they're dealing with now. Um, these these lingering symptoms. Um, the the one man who's the uh, the former salesman, um, Rick Sullivan, he gets these brain fogs that essentially put him into this near comatose state for you know a couple hours at a time, where he just it's like he just kind of can't function at all um for for an hour or two he'll just kind of sit he actually has gotten to the point where he turns on his tv and will turn on like a meditative kind of tv station that just shows like a waterfall and plays soothing music and he'll just kind of stare at that to get himself you know back on a recovery after he's he's overexerted and for him overexerted again it's you know cleaning the cat litter um it's taking a walk down the block it's just the simplest things can really kind of put him put him out of sorts for quite some time it really challenges the way we think about this. And and I don't know if it's wishful thinking, but it feels like we've tried to think of the coronavirus at times as something that if you can get over quickly, that not only can you move past it, but you also have some immunity um, and, and you're and you're better for that. But but there's all of these people um, that that are suffering. And and I think you write that it it's like this around the country, right? This is consistent. Yeah, I think to me that's that's you know one of the things that really kind of concerns me about this personally is that, that I think about I think about myself, I think about the you know my friends and family is you know I like a lot of people early on thought of this as sort of you know as one doctor said it a binary thing it was you lived or you died. Um but you know now that this has been going on long enough and we're seeing these people that have very kind of serious lingering symptoms um it just makes you think like Oh wow! I really don't want to get this. Um, aside from the fact that you know you and I are in our forties, um, you know we're not in a really high risk age group of of dying. But 
you know, there are loads of people in their 40s who have gotten this um, and are still really not feeling well. Um, they're really struggling with this. There are, you know, a lot of support groups, online support groups that have popped up around the country. Um, but there's one that's a Facebook group that's among the most popular that has over 100,000 members. Um, and not every single one of those people has these sort of really long-term disabling um, effects, but a lot of them do. Um and, you know, the hard thing is, is this is so new that we don't know what the recovery for these folks looks like. Um, we don't know if they're going to, you know, feel better in a few months um, or if this might be a permanent state for some of these folks. Yeah, it's so powerful the way you put it, binary. You know, it's so tempting to think of it that way. That was obviously a lot better than the many more words I used to try to describe it. Thank you for that. Erin, um, you have also uh, written a lot about um, the way people talk about the illness, um, it's really progressed in our understanding of it. It's often talked about as a respiratory illness, but the experts are saying that is not the full picture, right? Correct. Yeah. So, you know, right from the start, we were talking about this and people still talk about it as a respiratory virus. Um, and in a sense, that's not inaccurate because that's its entry path. That's how we become infected is through our respiratory tract, right? We we breathe it in through the mouth, through the nose. We touch our hands to our mouth. Um and it gets into the lungs. That's sort of the pathway. But, you know, beyond that, it's, um, you know, when you think of a respiratory illness, you think about lung problems, you think about pneumonia, you think about, you know, runny nose, like these kinds of symptoms. But what we're seeing, you know, more and more, and this is aside from these folks with long-term illness, we're seeing, you know, people that have heart damage. We're seeing people, um, we, we know that this thing causes um, clotting issues, so blood clotting issues. So they've seen people who suffer strokes. Um it's, you know, we've seen kidney damage. Um, you know, we have people that suffer rashes, um, you know, very serious, um, you know, skin disorders. There was one woman I talked to who said that her eyes changed um, shape, that she, after being infected, was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. She was very seriously ill. She got home and her contact lenses didn't fit her eyes anymore. <laughs> um, you know, and mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on with that. But um, but the point is that this is it, there still are a lot of questions. There's a lot of mystery here, but we do know that this this virus is able to get into and affect a lot of the organs of the body. And some of it is is the virus itself, and some of it is the body's immune response to it. Um, I think people are familiar now with the the uh, pediatric condition, the inflammatory condition that has affected a few hundred kids in this country. So that's another mystery there. You know what's happening with these kids, and we don't really have good answers to to any of these things yet. Yeah, you, you, you mentioned Rick Sullivan, right? And you, you tell the story about him going to the store. What happened? So Rick Sullivan, this was um, about a month after, or maybe six weeks after he had been infected. Um, he thought he was kind of starting on this path to recovery, but he was still having these brain fogs. Um, he had kind of, they, they'd started to become problematic, but he got, you know, one day he, he was changing the shower head at home. He needed a, a piece of you know, a piece of it to, to finish the work. So we went to the hardware store and he's kind of standing there staring at the shelves, feeling really out of it, having a hard time concentrating on what he needed to buy and remembering. And he hears a commotion from the front of a store. And it's this man who's talking to the clerk. Um, and this man has a, a face mask um, dangling from one ear. And the clerk is politely asking him to please cover his face, his mouth and nose. And the man is refusing and the man gets belligerent and is saying, you know, 
I, I don't have the quote right in front of me. Maybe you do. But, um, you know, it's, it's basically saying that this is all fake. Um, this pandemic isn't real. It's it's constructed by the liberals and he's just going off. And then finally, he agrees to put his mask on. But he says, you know, fine, I'll be a monkey just like you. And he puts his mask on and then proceeds to kind of dance around and make make monkey noises, which I'm not going to do on this podcast. But you can imagine and and just kind of, you know, being a, a damn fool in the store and Rick Sullivan is watching all this and, you know, he's standing there in this brain fog with these horrible symptoms of this disease, watching this man make a mockery of it. Um, and he's just, you know, it was really upsetting to him to think like, you know, this is so serious. This is like really affected my life. Like I, this Rick felt like he was going to die at one point. Um, he was never hospitalized, but he was, he was really worried about what was going to happen to him. He was worried about, you know, his whole family. Um, this has been so impactful in his life. Um, it's had such a dramatic effect in terms of just his everyday quality of life. And to see this person dancing around and acting like it's all made up, was just infuriating to him. And the thing is, is he was so out of it that he couldn't even really confront the man. He he thought about it and he would have liked to, but he was just, he was tired and he was upset and he's in this brain fog and can hardly think clearly. And so he just kind of watched the man leave and just felt really sad and distressed about this. And you know what? Everybody I talked to for the story had similar, you know, not quite as extreme as that, but they said that it just, it's so upsetting to them how many people don't take this thing seriously. Um, and they really want to get that message out. That's partly why they all agreed to talk to me. All right, Aaron, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more from Aaron Alday right after this. Welcome back. I'm Damian Bulwa. I'm joined by health reporter Aaron Alday on Fifth and Mission. Aaron, thanks again. I wanted to ask you about uh, another person that you spoke to that's been dealing with long-term symptoms of this. And that's Charlotte Juarez. Who is that? So Charlotte is, um, she lives in uh, Burlingame, I believe, um, down in the peninsula. And she is or was a, a clerk, a sales clerk at Nordstrom. Um, and she got sick. She was being super careful, um, you know, was was taking all the precautions, wearing face masks, all of that. Um, and then back in June, they had one friend drop by to do actually a, a cookie exchange. And that person came inside and had a beer. And then they got a call a couple of days later that, in fact, I think that guy's girlfriend had tested positive. So it was just, you know, this unfortunate string of events. Anyway, Charlotte, um, she ended up getting very, very ill. Um, she ended up in she went to the ER um, when she wasn't breathing well and was really struggling. And as soon as she got to the ER, they they put like a an oxygen mask on her and she asked when she could go home. And they said, you're not going home. You're going straight to the ICU. And in fact, a doctor sat down and said, you need to call your children. And which she took to understand to not necessarily say goodbye, but to, you know, have a very serious conversation with them. Um, so she was also, you know, convinced that she wasn't going to come out of this. Um, she did obviously end up surviving. Um, she actually, in fact, never had to go on a respirator, a ventilator. She never ended up in the ICU. So she did all right. But, um, you know, she, she came out and like a lot of people, she kind of thought, okay, that was, that sucked, but I'm going to move on with my life. And, um, 
she still is, you know, she's also what three months out from this now, two or three months out, and she gets these headaches that nothing will take care of them. She, you know, she'll take Tylenol, take ibuprofen, and it won't do anything to it. She just gets extreme fatigue. Um, she can't exercise like she used to. I mean, she used to spend eight to 10 hours a day on her feet at her job. Um, and now she can't do anything like that. Um, so she's just, you know, and she's somebody who, again, um, she's 62. Um, but she feels like, you know, she was healthy coming into this. Um, and she feels like people don't take this seriously enough. And she really wants them to understand that it's not just life or death, you know, that, that she doesn't know what kind of her fate is, what's, what's going to happen with her. And there was, you know, there was another woman I spoke to who's a, a school teacher who, you know, similarly, um, when we were talking, she she actually started crying. She broke down because she just wants her life back. Um, she can't walk her dogs. Um, she still is teaching remotely um, at a high school, but but she had to cut back on her classes and feels like it affects her ability to do her job. And she's just very upset, like a lot of these people, that she doesn't know what her fate is here. She doesn't know how long she's going to be dealing with this. Do we know whether any of this stuff could be permanent? We don't know. Um, I mean, it's if you think about it, it's just, you know, this disease has only existed since January um, in humans. Um, I will say doctors do say that they feel somewhat reassured that they have seen patients that have these these lingering symptoms who were infected early in the pandemic, you know, in February or March and, you know, were sick for three or four months, but have improved. Um, so they know that people can have these these lingering symptoms and do and can and do get better. Uh, but they can't say that that'll be the case for everybody. Um, and one of the big concerns, you know, aside from the impacts on these individuals and their quality of life, is if we end up with, you know, potentially tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people in this country who have long-term chronic health problems from this disease, that could put a really serious burden on our healthcare system. Um, and that's that's really remains to be seen. I mean, that's something people are very worried about. Are these people that are in this situation taking therapies, drugs, um, and are they being studied in, in, over the long term as well? So they are being, the, the studies are just starting. Um, there's a lot of frustration among the patients that um, that the studies haven't really taken off yet, that there are not very many of them. Um, there are a handful of studies that are happening um, with patients who have been hospitalized, Um so that's kind of where it started because that's just an easy group to get access to. Um, but less study is being done on folks who were never hospitalized. Um, and partly it's just, again, this is so new, it's hard to kind of rally those resources. Another complicating factor is a lot of these folks um, who got sick early on, they never, they don't necessarily have a positive test. Um, the school teacher that I interviewed, whose doctor you know, said you had COVID. I I feel confident that she never tested positive because when she first got sick, it was early March and no, there were no tests. Um, and she was told at the time, we can't test you. You should assume you have COVID-19, but we can't test you. Um, and so she's worried that she, you know, if there are studies that she won't be part of that, that people like her won't be part of those studies. Um, you know, she also worries about disability and, and long-term health repercussions that might be related to this and what it might mean if she doesn't have that that positive test in her pocket. Um, so, you know, that's just another another worry on top of many worries these folks face. Um, there aren't really treatments because we don't really know what's going on. Um, most folks, you know, if they get treatment, they might get very kind of 
symptom specific treatment. So a lot of folks are on inhalers for, you know, long-term kind of breathing issues. Some folks, you know, still have shortness of breath. They still have some of that. Um, you know, a lot of folks are on, frankly, anti-anxiety medications, depression medications, because they're having some really serious mental health issues that are related to all of this. Um, and, you know, help with sleeping. Like, there's just kind of a lot of those types of, of drugs and treatments people are on. But but other than that, no, there's just not a lot for them. Before I let you go, Aaron, I want to return to a conversation that we have often offline, but also on the podcast we've been having, which is... The fact that a lot of people are suffering with uh, long-term effects, and we don't know yet um, whether they might have permanent damage, how does that feed into this this larger discussion of um, decisions about uh, going back to restaurants and to schools? How does it figure into the, the larger discussion about you know whether we should be seeking herd immunity and, and when this will be over? Um, you know, it's again, it, it feels like. The discussion is so much bigger than the deaths. Yeah, absolutely. I think especially when we talk about things like schools, um, when we talk about, um, you know, obviously when we talk about herd immunity. um, So, I mean, in terms of schools, it goes back to we don't we don't know a lot about what, you know, the long term effects are um, potentially in children. I mean, we've talked a lot in this about these so-called long haulers, these people that have long-term kind of chronic symptoms. But the other aspect of that that we talked about early on is, you know, the folks that we've seen, it can have, it can cause lung damage. We've seen it can cause heart damage. Um, you know, there have been studies about heart damage in young athletes um, who even, even athletes who don't have symptoms, um, who are asymptomatic and tested positive. So, you know, there's definitely a lot of people who are fearful that we just don't know enough yet about you know, the long-term effects of this virus and people even who seem to have mild illness or very little illness at all. So that's one aspect. And then in terms of herd immunity, I mean, yes, we've talked a lot about the deaths and going for herd immunity would result in a lot of people dying who, you know, don't need to die. Um, but that could also be just disastrous as far as um, the chronic health, pro- you know, problems that would create. I mean, if you're talking about, and we don't know what subset of people who are infected will end up with these lingering conditions. But if it's, you know, one doctor I talked to thought it might be up to 10%. You know, we've had how many million? We've had a, a couple million. I should know this off the top of my head. Uh, I think maybe 6 million cases um, in the United States. Um, that's a lot of people potentially, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands even who have really serious illness from this lingering chronic illness. And that's going to put a big burden on our healthcare system. And plus, I mean, that's not taking into account those lives affected. Obviously, that's just awful to think about that many people, you know, dealing with this in the long term. And with with that kind of damage and, and long term effects, I mean, these people could have shorter lifespans. Ultimately, it's not out of the question, right? Oh, absolutely. That is definitely something that that, that doctors talk about and are feel, fear, fearful of, both in those that have these lingering effects, but also people that have, I mean, heart damage is heart damage. Um, you know, if you get this inflammation and it actually damages the heart muscle, that could certainly lead to a, a shorter lifespan. Well, let's leave it there. Aaron, thank you so much again. Um, it's great to have you on and, and thank you for your work. Thank you so much, Damien. Thanks to my guest today, health reporter Aaron Alday, to Karen Creighton for producing this episode, and thank you for listening.